Deuteronomy chapter number 20. And uh, boy, it's good to be in the Lord's house. It's encouraging to be in the Lord's house. A lot of places around that will discourage you. I want to get around encouraging people and get around God's people in God's house. Deuteronomy chapter 20 tonight. I'd like to read the first 18 verses of this chapter. It's the majority of it. But I believe there is a truth to be gained and gleaned from this chapter if uh, we'll have our hearts open to the Word of God tonight. Verse number 1, the Word of God says this, When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. And shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle." And another man dedicated. And what man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. And what man is there that hath betrothed a wife and hath not taken her? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. And it shall be when the officers have made an end of speaking unto the people, that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. And it shall be, if it make the answer of peace and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. And if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thine hands, thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof, shalt thou take unto thyself. And thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Thus shalt thou do unto all the cities which are very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations." But of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all of your word, and Lord, thank you especially tonight for this portion of your word that, Lord, we look to to feed us and to convict us and to encourage us, Lord, to make us fit for the fight that is ahead of us. Lord, I pray tonight that you would anoint me in the preaching of your word, Lord, that you glorify your Son in what is said and spoken and received. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would have liberty this evening to do in us, to us, and through us that which would bring you the most glory. Lord, I love you tonight, and I thank you for loving me. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter number 20, I believe most of us are aware of the context. 
The book of Deuteronomy is the repetition of the law. Moses is speaking, and we might say this, that God, through Moses, is speaking to the children of Israel, and is speaking of the most uh, plain and literal things. Let me say this tonight before we get into the preaching, that when God is speaking to Israel, He's speaking about literal warfare, literal battles, literal strategies that they as a people and an army are to employ as they are to conquer the promised land. But I am keenly aware, too, as I read this passage, that there is a New Testament application of these verses. Let me ask you this. I wonder if there'd be anybody in here tonight that would know this to be true, that we are in a battle in this day that we're living in. We are living, we are fighting in a battle. The book of 1 Corinthians says these things were written for our examples. And the Old Testament is written to give us truths and types and pictures and examples. Now, you and I, I don't believe it'd be the will of God that we take up a literal sword and go in some kind of uh, holy crusade against our neighbors or against even those that might be aliens from the salvation of God. But I do understand that the book of Ephesians tells me this in chapter 6 and verse 12, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. You and I, we're fighting a battle today. It's not a physical battle, but it is a spiritual battle. And as such, I believe that we need to be prepared for that spiritual battle. How foolish would it be if an army marched against an invading force without making any preparation, without knowing what they're getting into and knowing what they're in for, without having a strategy, without having a plan, without having an idea of what's going to happen and what they are to do and what their orders are that are to be followed. Well, I'd say this, that in many ways the church is doing that very same thing today. Let me tell you something. The, uh, the material, the secular humanistic materialism of the world's philosophy has become, I believe, subconsciously and subtly adopted and embraced by the New Testament church. Now, it's not that we're a bunch of God deniers. It's not that we don't believe in creation. It's not that we don't believe in Christ. But what it is, is we approach life in the way the world approaches life. Oftentimes ignorant to the spiritual forces that are at work and that are at play around us in this world. And oftentimes ignorant of the designs of Satan upon our lives and upon our families. I'm just going to tell you tonight that we better get ready because there's a battle whether we want to believe there is or not. And we're watching our kids and our grandkids become casualties to this battle. We're watching our families become casualties to this battle. Then we all sit around and scratch our heads and stare at each other and say, what went wrong? Well, I'll tell you what's going wrong. We're not, we're not uh, facing the enemy and we're not facing him in the strength of the Lord. Instead, we're living our lives and wondering why God doesn't twist the arms of our loved ones into being good Christians. Let me tell you, we're going to have to change some things. We're going to have to get some things straight. We're going to have to do some things right if we're going to win this battle. And God commands His children, the children of Israel, and gives them some strategies for the battle and how they are to meet the battle on the battlefield. I believe tonight we can gain some understanding about the spiritual battle we're facing. I believe now if we take these truths and appropriate and apprehend them and apply them in our lives, I believe that we'll fare better in the spiritual battle that we're in. Now, there's three basic truths that I believe are being conveyed in this chapter. And I want to give them to you this evening. Let me say, number one, that we are to meet the battle with courage. 
Look what it says in verse number one. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. We see the command to have courage. Let me tell you something. The spiritual battle is not for the faint hearted. And that's why a lot of folks don't fight it is because it's difficult. It takes denying self. It takes crucifying self. It takes taking up a cross and following Christ. And a lot of folks just don't seem to have the stomach for it today. You know, we live in a day where folks don't make hard decisions. Instead, we bury our heads in the sand and pretend there are no hard decisions to be made. But let me tell you, life gets hard sometimes. And a lot of those hard decisions will be thrust upon us whether we choose to meet them or not. Uh, We preached a little bit about it Sunday morning, about the effect that the far country has in the home. And we preached a couple weeks before then about uh, God's mercy in the far country. But we see how uh, drastically and how radically the world took and abused that young man that left his father's home. I bet you it was a hard truth he had to learn in the hog slot. A lot harder of a truth than if he had learned it when he was at his daddy's house. Uh, Let me tell you, we need experience is a good teacher, but she's an expensive teacher. It would be best if we take the wisdom of God's Word. Well, the spiritual battle is not for the faint-hearted. It's going to take some courage. You're going to have to do some hard things. You're going to have to do some things that ought with what this world believes. You're going to have to do things sometimes that your family doesn't understand, some things that your friends don't understand, some things that are going to brand you and label you a fanatic, that are going to brand you and label you some kind of, uh, of fundamental devotee to an archaic and draconian religion. Let me tell you something. If we'll just get our lives in line with the Bible and do it with courage, then I believe God will solve a lot of our problems for us. A lot of people just don't have the stomach for it. They don't have the stomach. I, I, you know, I, I was when I was uh, when I was being raised. Uh, let me say this: my daddy and my mama raised me. Now that ought not have to be said, but we live in a day where it has to be said. They raised me. They didn't just live with me. They, they raised me. And there were times me and my daddy were at odd. There were times me and my mama were at odd. There were times that they did things that weren't very popular to me. <laughs> and things that I didn't appreciate. Times that they did things that didn't win them points with me. But guess what? That's parenting. Sometimes you have to do hard things. Tough things. Sometimes it takes some courage in the face of spiritual warfare to believe and trust God even when the world says that it's overkill and that it's overrated and that God's going to fail us and that God's not going to come through. I'm just telling you, we live in a weak society, and if we want to win this battle, we better get our head in the game, and we better start doing things God's way. And that's not always easy to do, but if we want to prosper in the will and the Word of God, then we're going to have to do it. It takes courage to do this. We see a call to courage. I want you to notice verse 2, we see the the, uh, verse 1, we see the command to courage. Verse 2, we see the call to courage. How are they going to get that courage? Well, it says this in verse 2, And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle, and I thought this was interesting, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. Uh, let me say this, that if we're going to have courage, we're going to have to spend time with God and spend time in His Word. Now, there's a lot of applications we could make here. Certainly, if you wanted to, you could talk about being in the house of God. But here we are on a Wednesday night. You're in the house of God. I'm not going to fuss at you, and I'm not going to beat you over the head with that. But let me say this. Uh, I think the priest, you could make an application to the preacher, but I think this, that we have a great high priest and a great apostle of our profession. 
I'm just telling you that part of the reason we don't have stomach enough to make the right decisions is we ain't been spending time with God like we need to. Listen to what it says in the book of Acts chapter 4 concerning Peter and John. It says, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, you're not going to be very popular in this world by living by the Word of God. We live in a day now where, I mean, if you just, if, if you just say that folks ought to go into the bathroom they were born to, you're, you're called a bigot and a hate monger. And by the way, I mean, that's just the latest incarnation. You know, about this time last year, we was talking about the fact that the Supreme Court didn't even know what marriage was anymore. And we could go further back than that, and abomination after abomination, we could track back through time and look at times when the world has moved further away from the Word of God, times when our country has moved further away from the Word of God. But I'm just saying, it's an intimidating day to be a Christian. The easy times are over, and things are only going to get tougher. If we're going to raise our children and our families by the Word of God, and if our church is going to be run by the Word of God, and it's going to be a place where the Word of God is exalted and uplifted, the days that that's going to be easy are behind us. And hard days are what's ahead of us. Get ready, because if you'll stick in with me for the next 20, 30, 40 years, if God tarries His coming, and if He allows me to stay here, it ain't going to be long before you're going to start getting a reputation for going to that Wall Ridge Baptist Church. And I'm not talking about doing anything extreme. I'm talking about if we keep preaching the book the same way that we are today, then within 20, 30 years, you're going to be part of that crowd. And they're going to talk with scorn and with scoffing about those folks that go down to that church that actually believes the Bible. I'm just saying, we we better find a place we can find courage for these days that we live in. Now, this isn't the most eloquent message tonight, but I'm trying to shoot as straight with you as God will possibly allow me to this evening. And I'm just saying that the days when it was easy and the days when you you could float through and coast through, they're done, they're over. And the days when you could go through and not have a prayer life and not read the Bible and not make hard decisions... And society would just kind of buoy you along a path of of social morality and and some semblance of godliness. Those days are past. And we're going to have to start being Christians on purpose. And our family is going to have to start being Christian on purpose. And our church is going to have to continue to be Christian on purpose. And we better find some courage and some strength for it. The only place we're going to find that is by spending time with Christ. It's the only place we're going to find it. You see, because the world changes and people change. But the Word of God never changes, and the Son of God never changes. And so as the world pulls us further, if we can get in the prayer closet, get along with Him, and get along with our Bible, you know what you will find? It doesn't matter how much society has changed, truth has not changed. It's not changed. And that's where we're going to find courage. When we open that Bible and we say, yep, it says the same thing today it said yesterday. That was the first thing, first thing crossed my mind whenever the, the Supreme Court passed that they, they believed that two sodomites could marry and that they'd call it marriage and that that was, you know, they don't, they don't want rights. Let me say this. They want privilege. And anytime somebody gets privilege, somebody else loses rights. And that's what they want. They don't, they don't just want to, to dwell together. I mean, you know, they've been allowed to dwell together and live in whatever perverseness and sin that they've wanted to. Society has not even cast a shadow on that for probably the last 30 years. But they want privilege. They want you and I to be forced to use our language to describe their perversion. And the first thing I did when I found out about it is I got this old book out and I opened back to the book of Leviticus. And sure enough, it still says back there that it's an abomination for man to lie with man. 
You say, well, why do you say that, preacher? Are you boasting? No, I'm just simply saying that in a day when morality is a thing of the past and when social uh, standards and, and convictions are going away, I mean, moment by moment, it'd do us good to get back in this King James Bible and find that there's still truth. That's where we find courage. We get in here and you know what we find out? The priest still has the same message today that ever he had. And God's still on His throne. And when the world would seek to unloose our anchor and, and unlash our moorings and push us out on, on the drift of social change, we're going to find strength and courage in this Bible. And we're going to be encouraged to know that the truth is still the truth. Now listen, we, every generation faces this to some degree. But there are things today that are accepted in the church that 50 and 100 years ago would, wouldn't even accepted in society. And, I'm not, and listen, I'm not just talking about the extremes. I'm talking about in the average church. You understand that? Well, let me tell you something. And I'm not trying to be a prophet, but I believe I can read history just like anyone else can. It's going to get more and more extreme. It's going to get more and more extreme. And it's going to get to the place where preachers won't even stand up and say this is the Word of God. It'll get to the place where preachers won't even stand up and say that marriage... I'm talking preachers won't even stand up and say marriage is between a man and a woman. We're headed for those days. That's what I mean. The easy times are gone. They're past. Common sense is out the window, let alone scriptural and spiritual sense. So we better get ready for this thing. We better find out where we can find some courage at. We see the call to courage, and then notice the cause to have courage. Look what he says in verse 3. What's he going to say to them? Shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. You know, I like that God says that. He doesn't mince words, and He doesn't change His message. He doesn't try to smooth it over. He says, Oh, yeah, you're in for a battle. You're in for a battle. But listen to this. He says, Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is He that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. In other words, the, the reason we can have courage is because not the Lord's on our side, but we're on God's side. Uh, listen, I, I, we, we ought never apologize for God being right. And God is right. God's always been right. God will be right tomorrow. God will always be right. Let, uh, let God be true. Let every man be a liar. And I'm just saying the days when that was a given are over. And we're going to have to make up our minds about these things. Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe it's true? Do we believe God knows what's best for our marriages and our families and our children and our grandchildren? Or do we not believe that? Now, if we believe that, then that ought to, that ought to drive us to be biblical in everything that we do. If we don't believe that, what are we doing in a church house? What are we doing saying we're a Christian? What are we doing saying that we're one of God's children? Uh, the only way that we're going to find this courage is to know that we're standing on God's side in these matters. And I promise you, you know, I've heard it and I've said it before, that God, God by Himself is a majority. You know, I understand that. But I'm just telling you that biblical Christianity is, is already in the minority as far as an authentic representation of it. But even a shallow, even a marginal representation of biblical Christianity, it's, it's on the way out, not on the way in. And we're going to have to make up our minds that, that we'll be satisfied if the whole world is against us as long as we're with God. If, if the whole world is against us, if our families think we're nuts, if, if the government is ready to come in and shut us down and take it away, if the government's trying to take our kids from us, I mean, we're going to have to make some decisions about these things. I'm more convinced today than I've ever been in my life that it's not going to be the next generation or the generation after that. It's our generation. 
And we better get ready for this fight. Now, I'm not talking about taking up arms. I'm not talking about taking up the literal sword. I'm just talking about stealing ourselves for this spiritual battle that's ahead. We better meet it with courage. Then notice the next verse. I'd say that we're to meet it with courage, but I'd say we're to meet it with commitment. Now, these verses can be a little mysterious if you don't lay Scripture on Scripture and, and interpret them with the Word of God. It says this in verse 5, And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. What man is he that hath planted a vineyard, hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. What man is there that hath betrothed a wife, and hath not taken her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. Now, I'll tell you what it seems like when you read that, if you're not careful. It seems like when you read it, that if you've got anything better to do than be in the battle, God says, well, just go and, and don't be in the battle. But I think if we understand correctly what's being said here, now stop and think about this. Look at verse 4. The Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And then in verses 5, 6, and 7 all, it says, If a fellow goes to battle, and he's not dedicated his house, or he's not gone in under his wife, or he's not eaten of his vineyard, that he needs to go home lest he die. Now, I thought God was going to fight for us. So why all of a sudden is there a risk of going to battle and dying and another taking it? I believe if we understand it in this way, it'll clarify it, that what the Lord is saying is this. That folks that have those things tethered to their life are not fit for the battle ahead, and they don't have the focus required to fight in it. Listen to what it says in the book of Luke, and I believe this sort of expounds on it. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. It says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And I wrote these three things down. I want you to consider them. I believe the first, when he talks about a man that has a house, I don't believe the Lord's saying that it's wrong to have a house or to build a new house. I don't believe the Lord is saying that the man that has a house that is undedicated, that there is something intrinsically wrong with him. But I believe what he's saying is this. When we go into battle, we have, need to have no regrets that could cloud our mind. In other words, why would it matter to this man if he was dead if another man dedicated his house? What difference would that make? Why would it affect him being dead, the fact that another is living in his house? And the same actually could be said of all three of these. What he's saying is this. When you're out on the battlefield, you don't need to be looking backwards wishing that you had dedicated that house and spent more time there. Let me say, as believers, sometimes we all have regrets. But we better, if we're going to thrive in this spiritual battle, if we're going to win in this spiritual battle, we better learn to bury those regrets at the foot of Calvary and with full conscience and focus direct our attention to the battle that's ahead of us. What he's saying is this, that fell out on the battlefield with a house that ain't been dedicated. He won't have his mind on the battle. He's going to have his mind on what he should have done and wished he had done. 
Let me tell you, we need to understand whatever mistakes we've made in the past are just that in the past. And we have a very real battle ahead of us right now for our loved ones, our kids, our grandkids, our marriages, our homes, our neighbors, our churches. We have a very real battle right now. And listen, there's no risk of us changing the past, but there's a great risk of us bumbling the, the present and losing the future. We need to get our focus on the things ahead. We need to understand that whatever we've done in the past cannot be changed. But if we'll focus our attention on living for Christ right now, then I believe we can do great things for God. Uh, one fellow said it this way, and I've probably said it time and again here too, that if you're tripping over your past, you're headed in the wrong direction. Just put it behind you and go on for Jesus Christ. Because a man that is always thinking about the past is a man that's not fit for the battle. He's not fully committed. I, I would say we're to have no regrets that could cloud our mind. Look at verse number 6 again. He says this, And what man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. Now again, why would this man care who's eaten in his vineyard if he's dead? No, here's the truth. They didn't want him while they were out on those long marches. When they were having to eat a soldier's rations, they didn't want them sitting under the stars at night and thinking about that vineyard and getting tempted to go back. I would say this, we don't need to have any resources that could divide our loyalty. Now, it's not wrong to have things, but I believe that God entrusts things to those that will give them right back to Him. And I believe this, that whatever material blessings that God might bless you with, if they distract you from living for Christ, they're no longer a blessing but a burden. And we need to ensure that everything that we have, every red cent that is in our wallet or in our bank account, every stitch of clothes, every single item that we have in our home, everything that we have, that it belongs to Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you something, there may come a day when that means something. It's all theoretical right now, I understand that. You're not worried about the government coming in and taking your home because you're a Christian. Let me tell you something, ere too many years pass, we may be looking at that very thing. So we better make our mind up that our citizenship is in heaven, our inheritance is in heaven, undefiled, incorruptible, and that fadeth not away. And whatever we've got on this, listen, be it cars or homes or clothes or land or whatever it might be, it's all going to burn up anyway. And that we're living for eternal things. We're not to look on the temporal, Paul said, but on the eternal. The things that are temporal are temporary. They pass away. The things that are unseen, that are not temporal, they're eternal. And they're reserved in heaven for us. I'm just saying this, that the man that had the vineyard that he hadn't eaten of, he'd be thinking of the vineyard instead of thinking of the enemy and thinking of the risk. Boy, it's not uncommon to see folks that... that and I believe, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged when God blesses people materially. I, I'm not, that doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't loathe that. I don't disdain that. I, I think it's good. I like it when God blesses me materially. <laughs> and I like it when God blesses you materially as well. I don't think that's a wrong thing. I, uh, probably the most misquoted passage in all the Scripture is folks say that money's the root of all evil. Well, they need to read their Bible. The love of money's the root of all evil. Money's not a bad thing. But when those things and that pursuit of riches and goods and of physical and temporal comfort, when that takes the place of our commitment to Jesus Christ, and pretty soon we're out of church and we're out of ministry and we're out of the things that God would have us to do while we chase the dollar and chase pursuit and success and luxury, that's not a fit soldier. That's not a fit soldier. You know what Paul said? He said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. In other words, the soldier isn't worried about these things. You know why? He may not live to ever enjoy them anyway. 
He's to be fighting and laboring for his commander. I'd say we need to have no resources that divide our loyalty. But look at verse number 7. It says this, And what man is there that hath betrothed a wife and hath not taken her? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. Now, Christ taught us this in the New Testament, that uh, those that are resurrected are like the angels. They're not given to marriage. So why would it matter to a man if he's died who has married his wife-to-be? Why would that matter to him? He, he's like the angels. He's not given unto marrying or given unto marriage. I think what he's saying is this. There should be no relationships that could rob us of our nerve. Now stop and think about that for a minute. There, there should be no relationships that could rob us of our nerve. And you say, preacher, what does that mean? Does that mean we need to live lonely and isolated lives? No, that's not what it means. But listen to what Christ said. He said that except a man hate his father and mother, he's not worthy of him. Now, he's not saying that you should have a visceral hate or a dislike of your family. What he's saying is this, that by comparison, your love of God ought to be so supreme and superlative that by comparison, it makes the, the physical and family relationships that we have seem like hate. In other words, and, I, and I've seen this a lot, I, I've seen a lot of folks that let their family get them out of serving God. It's easy to do. You love them. I love my family. I love my child. But I hope by God's grace, I hope by God's grace to stay in this fight, even if it costs me some loved ones. I already told you, these are hard things. A lot of folks don't have the stomach for it. But that's the day that we live in. That's the, that's the day that we live, and we better make our mind up that we're going to stand with God, whatever that means. Even if it means losing the favor of those that we love. Now, if we're, if we're Bible believers, we'll do that. If we're not Bible believers, we won't do that, because we won't think God is worthy or think that He's worth it. But I promise you, if you stand for God, and if you stand for Him firmly, you'll have family and you'll have loved ones that'll say, I'll have no part in that, and I'll back away and I'll walk away. Now, that's the fight ahead of us. And we have to have that kind of commitment. You say, well, preacher, boy, that's, that's really rough. Listen, I'm not, I, I'm, not, I'm not even preaching to you. I'm just telling you how it is. Right? I'm not, I'm not begging you to be this way. I'm not asking you to be this way. It's your life and it's your choice. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. And we have to make up our mind that we'll not lose our nerve in the face of family turning against us. In the face of family turning their back on us. In, in the face of family. I, I promise you, and I've talked to people here lately that have said they've got family. Just want them to tone it down. Just tone it down. Just quit talking about all that church stuff, all that Jesus stuff. I've heard it. I've heard I've got family that said it to me, too, you know. And uh, you say, well, what do I do about that, preacher? You just go ahead and stay on God's side about it. That's what real love is anyway. To compromise the Word of God is not love. The world may call it love, but it's not love. And if you really love them, you'll stand with God. You'll do it in a loving way, in a compassionate, in a kind way. You don't need to be ugly. You don't need to be rude. You don't need to be mean. But you can't lose your nerve. You've got to stay with God on these things. Because let me tell you something. You're not helping them by giving up on God. You're not helping them by giving up on God. You know what you're doing? You're enabling and giving them fuel for their rebellion. When you walk away from God for their sake. In other words, what he was saying is he didn't want as they laid out under the stars, camped out on the battlefield, getting ready for the battle on the day ahead, he didn't want them thinking about that relationship and turning around and going home and leaving the battlefield. I'd say we're to meet it with commitment. But then I want you to notice this, and I'm done. 
I'd say we're to meet it with courage and we're to meet it with commitment. But I'd say we're to meet the battle with consideration. There's some things we ought to consider as we go into this battle. You know, Christ told this about the man that counted the cost. And uh, I believe we should count the cost, don't you? I believe we should consider it. I believe we should understand some things. We're not to fly wildly and in a rage into this spiritual battle, but we're to do so calmly and biblically. And I believe he gives us a couple of illustrations here. Look at verse number 8. He says this, And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. I'd say we ought to consider the fellow soldiers that are around us. Because what we do in the battle might affect what they do in the battle. You'd be amazed how many people are on the precipice as they look for one of two things, either encouragement or excuses. I'm not talking about different people. I'm talking about people that are right now, they're on the pinnacle, they're on the razor's edge in their walk with Christ. And they're looking around either for encouragement or excuses. What are we going to give them? Are we going to be one of those that that falls and fails and falters and, and is permissive and makes excuses for them to give them a reason to give up and to be faint-hearted, or are we going to be like those? I, I think about the day that, uh, you know, Saul, he's, he's up in, in Gibeah. He's under a pomegranate tree. The Philistines are arrayed down in the valley, and Saul's got 600 men with him up there under the pomegranate tree. And they're just sitting around doing nothing, you know. And uh, it's like uh, not like our church, thank the Lord, but it is like a lot of churches, just sitting up under the pomegranate tree doing nothing. And eventually, Jonathan, he, Saul's son, he says, you know, I'm tired of this. There's a battle to fight. And he grabs his armor bearer. And they go down and they rush into the battle. And God begins to give them great strength and great favor and great victory. And the Bible says this, that those that were up there under the shade of the pomegranate tree, they looked down and they said, who is that down there that's fighting so fiercely? And they took a head count real quick and they said, well, that's Jonathan and his armor bearer down there. And they rushed down from the pomegranate tree. And the Bible says then there were some Hebrews that were back in the caves and they rushed out of the caves. And even then there were some Hebrews that were behind enemy lines had been fighting for the Philistines and they turned their sword against their comrades and began to fight for the side of the Lord God of Israel. You see, there's folks watching. There's folks watching. And what we do may affect what they do. No man's an island unto himself. And we better get it in our minds that if we quit, we'll probably take a few others with us. When Peter said, I go a-fishing, there were six other men that said, we'll go with you. We'll go with you. By the same token, guess what? When John said, hey, it's the Lord over there on the shore, when Peter jumped out of the boat, six other men started coming to shore with him. I'm just saying we have an effect around us. We need to consider the fellow soldiers. Look at verse number 9. I think we need to consider the friendly strangers. Look what it says. And it shall be when the officers have made an end of speaking unto the people, that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it, it shall be, if it make the answer of peace and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. Well, I think we need to consider the friendly strangers. You know why? Because not everybody out there is our enemy. Not everybody out there is our enemy. There may be some folks that don't do things exactly like we do them. Now, you know me. Everybody in this building knows me. You know that, that, that I believe we ought to stand on the Word of God, the King James Bible. 
You know that I believe we ought to have God-honoring music, Christ-honoring music. You know I believe we ought to have the right standards. We ought to look right and act right and behave right. But I understand, too, even within those things, there's going to be people that do things a little different than I do them. I understand that. What do we do about those people? We need to remember who the enemy really is. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's people out there peddling false versions and trying to make merchandise. There's people out here trying to pass rock concerts off as church. I understand that we're to have no truck with that and we're to have no part with that. But I understand this, too. There are some good people doing the work of God that may do things a little slightly different than you or I do them. And we need to understand who our enemy really is. You know why? You know why they would do that? They'd go to a city. They'd, they'd call out. They'd ask for peace. And if the people answered peace, you know what God said? He said, make them a tributary. And they'll serve thee. You know why we shouldn't make an enemy out of everyone? Because we just might need help someday. And the fact is, the people that are around us are not our enemies. The people that sit in these pews right beside you, they're not your enemies. And we need to consider them. We need to consider that we don't have to fight against everybody. We just have to fight against those that are not on God's side. I'd say we're to consider the friendly strangers. Look at verse number 12. It says this, And if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thine hands, thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof, shalt thou take unto thyself. And thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Thus shalt thou do, now notice this, Unto all the cities which are very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. Now, why did God say that? This is why that they teach you not to do after all their abominations which they have done unto their gods, so should ye sin against the Lord your God. I'd say we're to consider the foe's strength as we enter this spiritual battle. He makes a distinction here. He says there's going to be some enemies that are far off. And those enemies, you may be able to leave the women and the children alive. But he says those enemies that are closest, those enemies that they want your territory, He said, you're not to leave anything breathing. You know what that tells me? It tells me two things. One, it tells me this. Some battles are more important than other battles. Now, we say that, and sometimes there is a tendency to take that as an excuse to not fight the cities that are far off, to not take a stand against things. But I think the opposite should be true. It should not cause us to shrink away from the battle that is afar, but it should cause us to fight more valiantly the battles that are close to home. In other words, there are some things, everything matters, but some things matter more. Uh, You've heard me say it before, that just because something isn't the most important thing, that doesn't mean it's not important. But by the same token, just because something is important, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the most important thing. And there are some things that we need to fight tooth and toenail. You say, what are those things? Well, why did he tell them to kill those enemies, and and not leave a single one of them alive. Because they would teach them the abominations that God was judging those nations for would be taught unto the nation of Israel. In other words, you say, what battles do we fight first and what battles do we fight fiercest? The things that threaten us, our walk with God, our families, our city, our community, our church. 
Those are our main focus. Those are our main focus. Uh, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of battles and a lot of things people are facing. But you know where my greatest focus is as the pastor of Walridge Baptist Church? I'm not interested in getting up and preaching about the things plaguing the church two states over. I'm worried about the things that are a temptation to our church. And by the same token, you know, a lot of times there are enemies that, you know, we'll gloat over the enemies that are, that, that are afar off that we have conquered. All the while, we're letting the enemies that are right under our nose run rampant. You say, what do you mean? Well, a lot of times we'll say, well, you know, I, I, I may not do everything right, but, I, you know, I don't go out and party. I don't go out and drink. I don't go out and... No, the devil doesn't have to get you drunk to get you to compromise your testimony. Sometimes it don't take that much. <laughs> sometimes if he can just get a hold of your tongue, or if he can just get a hold of your attitude, sometimes if, if he can just get a hold of the things that are in your home, if he can just get a hold... I mean, he, he doesn't care how he gets you as long as he gets you. And we need to understand there are some battles more important. What are those battles? Those battles are the ones that affect us closest. Those are the ones that we fight day by day. You say, what do we do about those preachers? We fight them until there's nothing left. We fight our flesh. You know, we'll, we'll always have a flesh on this side of glory. But we never stop fighting it. You know why? Because it affects us. If we don't keep fighting it, it'll corrupt and pollute our lives and everything that we do. We fight for our families, we, we keep fighting. For our marriage, we keep fighting. For our grandkids, we keep fighting. For our church, we keep fighting until the fight's done. Because if we let up, if we let up, we'll lose this battle. God is with us and God fights our battles for us. But if we're not committed unto this fight, we can still lose these battles just the same.